This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. So hello and welcome or welcome back to Self Work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford, and I'm really glad to be back with you. I started Self Work over six years ago now, to extend the walls of my practice to those of you who might already be interested in psychological and emotional issues. You might be thinking about starting therapy because you've just been diagnosed with something or you're having a relationship issue that needs some sort of clarification. Or maybe you're someone who's a bit skeptical about therapy or even listening to a mental health professional. But you might just tune in to self-work to see what it's all about. Welcome to all of you. Before we get started, I want to hear from Athletic Greens and tell you a little story. We had some very avid trekkers and hikers come to see us this Christmas, really wonderful friends who've turned into another kind of family, and I had put a little packet of Athletic Greens in their stockings, and they all just yelled, oh, this is so cool, I've been wanting to start this. So anyway, on their recommendation, here's Athletic Greens. What better time than now to decide that you're going to do something for yourself in 2023 that will only add to your sense of well-being, where you can begin every single day with an act of true self-care, not a bubble bath, not even a therapy session, but by drinking one glass full of 75 high-quality minerals, vitamins, probiotics, adaptogens, and whole food source superfoods, which support everything from your gut to your immune system to your energy level. I use it every day and love this habit because if you're like me, Self-care can get lost in a day full of kids, work, meals, and whatever else comes along. AG1 knows that people who listen to self-work are seeking to make their lives better. So Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five travel packs with your first purchase. Become your own green machine in the first hour you're up and around. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash self-work. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash self-work to take ownership of your health in 2023 and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. First of all, I cannot express how grateful I am to be back and to be healthy. Fear was very much a part of the weeks before my surgery, not necessarily of scarring. I thought I could manage that, but of not being able to communicate. I read various articles that said that wouldn't happen, that they were very reassuring, but others stated differently. I had to realize and accept that I wasn't in control of what might or might not happen. I was only in control of my response to those things. So that's what I tried to focus on. How was I going to respond? Memories of my own dad flooded in as I watched him over the years cope with heart attack, cancer, stroke. He did it with resilience and with the intense desire for us, his kids, to know he wasn't afraid of death, and he made up his mind each time that he'd do what he could and accept the rest. So I did my best to emulate him. After all, I had my own grown son by my side watching me, so I tried to be like my dad. So many of us want to start fresh in a new year. Maybe you, like me, are facing something that you need support to handle, or maybe you have old wounds that are still bleeding under the surface and need to be healed. 
Starting fresh can mean beginning a relationship with a therapist. And BetterHelp easily provides that therapist for you and one that fits your schedule and your lifestyle. Let's hear a savings offer from them before we go on. Twenty twenty two is ending, which was a hard year for many, as they're trying to heal from the impact of the pandemic, and now we're welcoming twenty twenty three with more people than ever needing help with anxiety and depression. The most common problem I hear from those seeking therapy is how hard it is to find a therapist. BetterHelp solves those problems. After you make the first contact, their standard is to offer names of therapists to you in less than two days, and you can talk to them in the first session to see if it's a good fit. If so, you're on your way. But if not, rather than going through an awkward call or email, you simply let BetterHelp know and they'll ask what it was you didn't like and find someone else for you. You can text, chat, or talk virtually. All of those avenues are open to you. I'm a therapist because I got good therapy. I know how much of a difference it can make. I reached out, and so can you. Here's BetterHelp's offer for self-work listeners. 10% off your first month of sessions if you use this link. BetterHelp.com slash self-work. There's never a better time than today to reach out and get help. BetterHelp.com slash self-work. The topic for today was brought to my attention by a wonderful voicemail I got over the break. Let's listen in. My question is, as I get older, I find that I feel guiltier about doing nothing. I remember as a child, doing nothing could be wading through a puddle or going for a walk to nowhere in particular and making a treehouse for hours on end. And I didn't feel accountable, whereas Now, I've just turned 58, and I feel almost guilty about just sitting and thinking, for example. And the only way I can find a way to do it and not be questioned is, say, to take the dog for a walk. And now, two dogs, both very active border collies, so this is helpful in a way. So my question is, how do you enjoy doing nothing again, the way we did as children? And... What sort of answers might we give to anyone idly questioning what we've been doing or what we've been doing lately or what were you doing upstairs or whatever it was or where have you been? Or I just wonder, how can you graciously and humorously answer the question? This listener was talking about guilt she felt, but her confusion about why. Why doing nothing, hanging out, filling time with seemingly purposeless activity? Why as an adult was she struggling with guilt over that? Why did she feel guilt when someone asked her the question, what you been doing? Was she wasting time? So we're going to divide our discussion into three potential sources for this guilt. First, self-reproach. Second, fear of the judgment of others. And third, what in the research is interestingly called time anxiety. Let's start with self-reproach, which is a fancy word for beating yourself up. This is tied into the belief that seemingly directionless behavior or a choice to relish the process of being rather than striving toward a goal is a problem. As she points out, many of us didn't have that kind of guilt when we were children. We love to play, 
unless most likely you were raised by parents who were very strict and rigid. But why do we have this self-reproach? Because for so many of us, achievement, getting something done, has become the gold standard of measuring our value. There's an Instagram post that's just come out that's gotten almost 700,000 views and 29,000 likes that says, I am pleased to announce that I am no longer behind on everything. I didn't catch up. I just decided that where I am isn't behind. (laughs) I love that. It's by Kate De Palma, if you want to check it out. You can hear that the first way she was assessing herself was with self-reproach. You're behind. You're behind. Then she just stopped and said, wait a minute. What do I mean I'm behind? What if I change and instead of focusing on the goal or the end, I focus on the journey? And that means where I am is where I'm supposed to be. This kind of change of perception, this permission, is exactly what I'm talking about. So, this listener may be in a similar place with herself, that maybe she or you aren't quite sure of how to assess where you are in life. Am I behind? Am I ahead? Am I doing with my life what I should be doing? So, as I write this, I hear my own inner voices of shame saying, Now, Margaret, do you really want to encourage people to not reach goals? Shame on you. That's not what I'm saying. That's way too black and white. If you reach a goal, if you do something you put a lot of hard work into and you get there, good for you. I hope you celebrate. That can build a sense of competence. And then, can you breathe into that space and feel proud without looking around for the next goal, the next achievement? Maybe you could spend a bit of time not doing, but being. Here's a quick example. I had a patient who'd become very ill, so much so that she'd had to stop traveling to speak around the world about her expertise. She could no longer teach. Her pain could be excruciating on some days. She came to me because she said, I don't feel that I have any value anymore. My life's work has been taken from me. We did lots of grieving work, but then one day she came in and told me she figured something out. My goals have changed. They've been taken away from me. I have to accept that. But what I do have control over is how I greet my husband when he walks in after work. I have control over what I plant in my garden. I have control over how much I allow this disease to govern my mood. I learned so much from her. And if you hearken back to what I was saying in the intro about my own situation, you'll hear I tried to adopt the same attitude. So, self-reproach for not doing. Think of it In a healthier way, think of the word balance. When you want a balance of doing, setting goals and getting there, of doing things that help you gain a sense of competence without being self-reproachful for not doing that 24-7. So you can say, I love getting certain things done and I want to balance that with honoring if I'm tired or I need a break. Sometimes I need to be and not just do. Now self-reproach, has its place. When you do something snarky or mean, then feeling self-reproach hopefully helps you apologize or make amends. It helps you be a better, more responsible person. But to use it to bludgeon yourself for simply hanging out? I don't think so. So now we're going to talk about the fear of what others may believe. Are they going to be seeing me as lazy or incompetent? And so you can become anxious about that. And this whole section What I want the point to be as you listen is that if you figure out what that anxiety is about that's behind what people are perceiving as laziness 
or you're saying is procrastination, then maybe with self-compassion you can go back and you can attend to that fear or that anxiety. And that changes things so much because it will change how you process someone else evaluating you negatively. So, when I heard the listener's question, I wondered, could she be afraid of how someone else is going to perceive her not doing anything? So it's not self-reproach, it's fear. How are others going to perceive this? There's a newish commercial on TV for Dr. Pepper. Adult fans of a college team are yelling at a football player who's enjoying his Dr. Pepper after a loss. (laughs) He smiles and says, it's only a game. And they make faces and tell him his values are all screwed up. He should be ashamed and already working on making sure of the next success instead of enjoying his Dr. Pepper. Sadly, I think that's not too far from the truth. You know, we think and we talk very pejoratively about what we perceive as laziness. We call people couch potatoes, slackers. We say they did something half-ass. My college friends and I made up a word for those days that we didn't want to get anything done. The word was PUD, and you had to kind of say it like that, PUD. I just want to PUD today. (laughs) The old biblical term for laziness is sloth, and it's actually one of the seven deadliest sins that was punishable by being thrown into the snake pits of hell after death. (laughs) So let's talk about what's underneath laziness or procrastination, and that's fear and anxiety. Here are four real examples. These are patients of mine. Sarah couldn't open her email for fear there would be bad news. Jason couldn't begin a paper for his college class because it felt overwhelming. Chandra couldn't go to the gym because she dreaded not knowing how to work the machines. And Alex, she couldn't order food at a drive through because she was too anxious that she'd sound silly. Now, you think these things are silly? that obviously these people's lives couldn't be productive or successful, and actually, all of these folks had wonderful families, great careers. What existed were pockets of anxiety. There were certain things that overwhelmed them, and they were panicking about those things. So let's talk about what could be underneath procrastination. First, could it be avoidance? Let's take Sarah's case. Sarah had actually had trouble with the IRS in the past due to not paying her taxes for several years. So her fear about opening mail was completely connected with that emotional trauma, which was re-triggered when official-looking envelopes arrived. She wasn't simply putting things off. She had been highly traumatized, so that was where her work was to try to understand the trauma and the fear. Jason? It turns out he had ADHD. So his problems with not starting something which was so overwhelming to him was because he needed help with focusing. He did start medication, and in therapy, we came up with some ideas to help him get organized. Now, what about Chandra, who couldn't go into the gym? She'd actually had helicopter parents. She hadn't been allowed to make mistakes because her parent had accomplished those unfamiliar-to-me tasks. But she didn't learn how to problem-solve or develop her own sense of self-confidence. She'd never been allowed to navigate unfamiliar territory and to be able to regulate her feelings about looking stupid. You could also have this if you were abused as a child or heavily criticized, so you want to stay invisible. You are afraid of seeming as if you are making a mistake because all of a sudden you feel like there's a huge light shining on you. I hope that you can hear that going back with this kind of compassion toward yourself helps you understand, and then begin to change your behavior. 
And what about Alex? She expected perfection. And so she was terrified of looking or sounding as if she wasn't in perfect control. So she was afraid, again, she'd make a mistake in ordering a hamburger. So if you recognize that anxiety or fear is a part of not getting things done, then going back and figuring out how that fear was created and doing healing work around that idea is so important. It could be based in trauma, in a focus problem, in a fear of making a mistake, or perfectionism and the shame that comes with it. You can take it apart with a trusted friend or a therapist, but you need to heal and shed that guilt. Now again, I want to connect this with the fear of being judged by others. Because what can be very powerful, if you heal your own fear or anxiety, then if someone else chooses to judge or criticize you, guess what? That criticism won't hit its target. It won't hit any fear that's inside of you because you've healed that fear. Instead, it'll slide off like water on a duck's back, as we say here in Arkansas. What gives criticism so much power is because you absorb it. You yourself are ashamed. And if you rid yourself of that shame and you instead replace it with self-compassion, then that's what you can do about fear of being judged by others. So let's turn now to another term I found in the research that's very important. It's time anxiety. This listener's guilt might be coming from this time anxiety. There are three different levels of it. First, you could have anxiety or guilt whirling around about how you spend your time today. Second, how you're going to spend your time tomorrow. And third, there could be a kind of existential anxiety, an idea that time isn't limitless, which of course is true. Time that passes cannot be retrieved, and time is all we have. So the anxiety can be in the present, about the future, and about existential issues. It's interesting to me that this latter kind of anxiety, the existential kind, certainly becomes more evident as we age. But I've had people who are approaching what they term a milestone birthday, mind you, not 70 or 80, but 30 or 40, who become highly anxious at the idea of getting older, that perhaps more of their life, of their time, has been lived than is in front of them. And how do they make sure they squeeze out all the fun or meaning or income or experience, whatever their particular value is, as they try to distract themselves from the ambiguity that is mortality? After all, what is a midlife crisis but existential anxiety? Now, this is probably a podcast episode in and of itself, so we'll leave that for now. But what can you do about time anxiety? Whether it's about today, tomorrow, or the unknown future. In your show notes, you'll have a link to this article. It's by Clockify, and I loved this idea that they came up with. Come up with your own list of what is time well spent. What does that mean to you, uniquely to you? Talk with a therapist or a trusted friend about it. How rigid is your definition? How limited is it? Or is it fairly expansive with several different areas of your life noted? Spiritual time, emotional time, intimate time, friendship time, work time, parenting time, alone time, together time, and play time, and downtime. How would you define time well spent? I think many struggle with this idea, especially those that got the message as children from their culture or their family that their worth was wrapped up in accomplishment, in tasks, in reaching a goal that would be meaningful in that culture or family. That doesn't mean those tasks aren't important again. Remember the balance? What it does mean is that you may have only one definition of time well spent, and frankly, 
that can be pretty boring or rigid, and it certainly can be very lonely if getting tasks done always supersedes having emotional needs met or just taking the time to take a walk with a friend to go in the woods and discover, like I used to go try to find a honeysuckle when I was a kid. I loved doing that. Or to sit with your feelings and your thoughts and be. You know, I'm obviously a driven person. I like that about myself. But I can't be all about tasks either because I would burn out. I'd be miserable. So sometimes I play. I do very little. I listen to a meditation app or I write. Not an episode. That would be a goal. But just free associate a little. So we covered three potential sources of guilt for this listener. The first was self-approach. For putting, as my friends and I would have said in college, self-reproach can be a habit, and habits are breakable, a little bit at a time often, but they are breakable. The second source could be the fear of judgment. So how do you handle that? You recognize first whether anxiety or fear is at the base of your choice or non-choice, and if you heal your own fear, then the judgment of others will mean far less to you because it won't hit its target. And last, make a list of what you consider time well spent and see how well that is scattered through the many things that are important to you, your many values, that all of that can be considered and defined as time well spent. Now, that list may change and in fact will change as a result of your own growing maturity and knowledge. That's okay. And if, by the way, you've been listening to this podcast and someone says, hey, what you been doing? Say, well... I listened to a podcast about how to handle questions about not doing too much. (laughs) I hope you now have an answer. I love that this whole episode was based on a question that a listener sent in. Please feel free to do that. Either you can write me an email at AskDrMargaret at DrMargaretRutherford.com or you can use the speak pipe feature that's in your show notes. You can also find it on my website. I've got a couple of opportunities that I want to take a little time to tell you about. First, I'm starting a study group beginning in February for anybody who wants to study the book Perfectly Hidden Depression with me. So far, I think about 50 people have said they were very interested, and this is how you would tell me you're interested. You would have to join my Facebook group. Now, that's a closed group, meaning the only people that can see that would be people that are also in the group. And you can join that group by going to facebook.com slash groups slash self-work. That's facebook.com slash groups slash self-work, because that's where I'm going to be organizing things, talking about when, where, how, all that kind of thing. So please join the group. And then, of course, you would have to buy the book. And I would recommend the paperback because of our focus on the exercises. That study group will hopefully begin in February. So if you're interested, jump on board. I also have a message for those of you who might wonder, gosh, what would it be like to be in therapy with Margaret? Or you just have never heard a therapy session before and you're curious. Well, there's a new app called MealMind, M-E-O-M-I-N-D. And they have real clients talking to real therapists in recorded therapy sessions that you can listen into for free. And they've asked me to be one of those therapists. So you can download the free app MealMind and just listen to either me doing therapy with someone on various topics. Or also you can use the app as a way for you to listen to therapy sessions done with other therapists that 
are close to or maybe even very similar to your own issues and struggles. I think it's a wonderful app, and I'm honored and excited about being involved. So that's Mind. As always, thank you for being here. Please, if you've read Perfectly Hidden Depression and you enjoyed it, can you leave me a review on Amazon? That would be wonderful. Or certainly for self-work. I need you to subscribe wherever you're listening, certainly at Apple Podcasts. And then leave me a review. If you like the fact that I'm back (laughs) and that I can communicate, I'd love to be able to read your good wishes and your thoughts about self-work. That takes like two seconds and is very, very appreciated. You can also go to drmargaretrutherford.com and subscribe there. And if you do, you'll join a group of about eight or 9,000 folks who receive a newsletter every week from me that has my weekly podcast as well as a weekly blog post and just gives you information like the meal mind and the study group and that kind of thing. So again, that's drmargaretrutherford.com. Okay, those are all my announcements. Thank you as always for being here. Thank you for your kind words and kind thoughts and kind prayers. Please take very good care of you, of your family, and your community. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been Self Work.